0: Ramble. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them so farmer's dog they make and deliver fresh healthy dog food and it's recommended by vets my vet literally recommended me farmer's dog it's nutritionally balanced and made from human grade ingredients in safe clean kitchens Tiffany has been bringing cola her french bulldog over and she keeps some of his food at her house she said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat so I offered her some of mango's food to give to him she was amazed she said that she's never seen cola so pumped for food farmer's dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble it's not canned goop it's real food with traditional dry or even wet food options they're extremely processed i mean i can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it and it's really hard to portion it's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need farmer's dog comes pre-portioned and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs so mango and tiger they eat different meals and it's so cool farmer's dog is like human grade food in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin. Their breath is better. And right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash Mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you. So use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash Mango. Bada bing, bada boom. September 14th. 2020 at around 8 PM, a Chinese vlogger by the name of La Mu went live and she was in the kitchen of her dad's house. She's wearing her traditional Tibetan clothes and she looks very happy as usual. She's kind of one of like those wholesome vloggers. She's lip syncing to songs. She's interacting with her viewers. She's whispering, you know, I have to stay in the kitchen because my father and my brother-in-law are upstairs sleeping. So I'm trying to keep it down. I don't want to scream too much. And for the next few minutes, everyone is smiling while they're watching her. See, Lamu was kind of a lot of people's comfort vlogger. She was a safe space for most people. She was one of the wholesome ones on the internet. And so all of her live streams, all of her videos, her overall presence online, just brought a lot of peace to those that were watching. But this one would be very different because it would be her very last live stream. Only a couple minutes after the live stream started, A lot of the viewers had heard this very loud bang from off screen and Lamu looked up. She looks immediately alarmed. You can see that on the camera and viewers are tuning into the live. They could sort of hear these heavy footsteps on the wood floor and Lamu jumps up, knocking her phone flat off the tripod. So it's the screen goes dark. You can't see anything, but the live was not disconnected. So you can still hear everything that's going on. There's some sort of tussle. People are confused. And there's this sound of water or some sort of liquid that was pouring around. That was kind of being splashed. As if someone took a water cup and just threw it at someone. Lamu is heard screaming, Help! Murder! Help! Then there were more footsteps just thumping down the stairs and you can hear her scream, Appa, run! He's going to make me explode! Brother-in-law, stay away! He poured gasoline all over me and he's about to light it! The viewers can assume that her father and brother-in-law rushed down the stairs when they heard her scream and now they know why she was screaming. They don't know who this person is or who this man is and they don't know if Lamu even knows him. They can't see anything. They could hear one of the family members trying to talk to the intruder, trying to calm him down. But his voice gets further and further away then closer, then further and it's just so hectic. We have no idea what's going on. Then the viewers hear a very slight, barely there click and this loud crackling noise, and it sounds like a fire. Lamu is screaming again, and this time from pain. Then the live stream cuts. All of her viewers were shocked. I mean, this doesn't even seem real. If this were any other internet personality, they would take this as a joke. You know, there have been instances where YouTubers will pretend to be regular vloggers, have this whole elaborate thing set up, and they they start making their viewers believe that they're being stalked, or that they're being broken into, or that someone's messing with them, or they've got this crazy, they're about to get kidnapped, and it turns out it was all for views. There have been instances of that. But people... Couldn't really believe that with Lamu. I mean, they almost wanted to believe that. But the screams, the panic in her father's voice, and she never seemed to be that type of vlogger to do that. A few days later, news came out. Lamu's house had been destroyed in a fire that was supposed to take the lives of all three residents. When the fire rescue got to the scene, Lamu's body, they only knew it was a person because of the shape of how she was found. Her skin had basically charred into the wooden floor, but she was still alive. What? She had severe burns on 90% of her body. She, I mean, she was alive. And so was her family. They had managed to escape and they hadn't been seriously hurt, but the killer escaped as well. So now everyone has the question of, well, first and foremost, is Lamu going to survive? Is she going to make it? And was this person someone she knew? Was this someone that watched her? Was it like a creepy stalker? Was it a viewer? Was it random? Was it targeted? Why would someone do this to let alone anyone? But why would they do it to this wholesome, beloved, kind blogger from China? As always, full show notes are available at RottenManglePodcast.com. This case happened fairly recently. The crime itself took place in 2020, and the court case was even more recent. One of our wonderful Chinese researchers helped us gather a lot of the research for this because, you know, it's primarily in Mandarin. And it's honestly one of the scariest things that I've researched in a really long time. This whole story is just full of hatred and jealousy from a single person. I mean, I think that's so scary to have all of these emotions come from a single human. And it's heartbreaking because it ends in, we kind of know where this is going. It ends in a very scary, terrifying way. The case deals with a lot of interpersonal violence. So if you or anyone you know is in a similar situation, just know that it's not your fault. You're not alone. I'm going to link some resources in the show notes and just remember... Clear your history, clear your cookies, clear your call logs. Please stay safe. And with that being said, let's get into it. Lamu was an influencer, but she's not the kind that you're thinking of, okay? Like, trust me, she's really, really different. She actually found a niche for herself on Daoying, a Chinese TikTok. And she was a Chinese national, but ethnically Tibetan. And she's living in the autonomous prefecture of China called Aba, for short. It's like this underdeveloped area that is known for their beautiful snowy mountain peaks and they just have like these glassy skies. It's, it's filled with a lot of solid communities, but it is hard to make a living there. Most residents do move out to find jobs in neighboring cities, but not Lamu. Uh, she stayed behind to take care and provide for her aging father. Her job, she would go out into the mountains whenever the season rolled around. And for days, I'm talking like 10 days at a time, she would go pick Chinese herbal meds, like herbs to make herbal medication. And this is not a cute little mountain. This is not a cute little hill and a cute little farm with an established trail and a road and like shelters and seeds. She would have to put on a giant backpack, sleep in the pitch black mountains for two weeks at a time while she's just foraging for herbs. She posted videos about her life in ABBA and her adventures like hunting the mountains for herbs. And I mean, just even picturing it, it kind of sounds like a social media success, no? Like she would vlog everything that she eats while she's out in the mountains. And it was fascinating, but it was still so incredibly wholesome. Like she would show that she had packed noodles and cabbage and these boiled eggs. And this is like boiled eggs from two weeks ago. And her boiled eggs would be broken or squished from all the weight of the bags. And she would just laugh and she would show her viewers like, oh my God, look at how goofy my egg looks. And then the nightfall would come and she's by herself in this mountain. And every day she's just eating noodles. It's like the same packaged noodle. And she would never complain. She just had like one piece of veggie, one piece of meat in every pack for dinner. And she was so grateful. She slept on rocks. In the mountains, because you have to make sure you don't get wet and the floor is moist, I believe. Mm So you have to sleep on the rocks and then put your blanket on the rocks. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's not comfortable. You don't sleep well, you know, and she would wake up in the middle of the night because probably how uncomfortable she was or how cold it was. And she would just turn on her camera and like sing to her viewers until she fell asleep. And she just had this really devoted fan base. I mean, they always called her the most down-to-earth person. She never complained in her videos, even though she's literally in the middle of a mountain freezing, sleeping on rocks for days at a time. She talked about how her dad was sick, and he just needed someone to take care of him, and she happily stepped up to the plate. Like, she never made comments about how, oh, you know, if my father weren't sick, I would probably move on and, like, do different things or have a different job. She was never bitter. Never. She would just get so excited if she found an especially good herb and she would show her viewers like, oh, this herb is used for ABC and D and like, you can cook it this way. So she just focused on finding the joy and all these little things, you know, no matter how hard things got. And she would tell the viewers, you know, hi, I'm the Tibetan girl from the mountains. My name is Lamu. In another video, she's vlogging and she would say things like, it's time for dinner, everyone. This is what we're eating. I just dug these up from the ground and look at how wet my shoes are. Oh my gosh, my gloves are all wet, but the sun is out now. So I'm just going to enjoy the sun and then I'm going to continue my work. And you watch it and you just think like, how can someone be so happy and grateful for every little thing? She makes you want to be more like her. But I don't think that she knew how much she meant to the internet or her viewers. One time she introduced herself saying, my name is Lamu, poor family, ugly person, 165 centimeters in height, elementary school education with a rural household registration. was obviously not an ugly person. And while she did come from an impoverished background and she did not have an advanced education, I don't think that those things detracted from who she was. They just made her much more impressive. Her viewers just said that she had like the purest soul, you know, but I think not a single person knew what was going on in her life. She would have all these videos and she would post herself singing and dancing and going on walks and her daily activities. But netizens didn't really know everything. They would just point out that, Hey, I think she works hard. Cause look at her hands. There's actually a TikTok that netizens commented on. And, um, it was, there was a brief shot of a close-up of her hands and they're covered in calluses and dirt. And she's just smiling as she's working. And now her father and brother-in-law are running down the stairs and they're seeing her standing there drenched in gasoline. And there is a man pointing a knife at her throat. This is while the live stream is still ongoing. And she keeps screaming at her dad to to run, telling her brother-in-law, stay away, run, run. Her father is frozen. He's trying to take in the situation. He knew that he's an elderly, sick man. I mean, there's no way that he's going to overpower this younger man. No way. Especially with a knife straight on her throat. His son-in-law, who was standing right next to him, I mean, he was average. They were no match against this evil, despicable human being in front of them. So they try to de-escalate the situation. The brother-in-law asked, okay, okay, why are you here? What do you want? Meanwhile, Lamu's dad went to the front door hoping to unlock it so that they could all distract the man with the weapon and they could all run out the front, including Lamu. But the front door had somehow been locked from the outside. Someone had barricaded it from the outside. So this man had planned all of this. He came into the house after he barricaded the front door. So he's not trying to leave either? The only way out is the back door. Mm. So the dad runs to the back door, runs outside and rushes to call the police. But he turns around and he sees his son-in-law standing behind him. So now both of them are outside in the backyard. And Lamu and this knifed man are inside the house in the kitchen still. So they hope that they can call the police and they would get here. And they don't really know the intentions of this man. Maybe he wants to scare them. Maybe he wants to scare Lamu. I don't think... I mean, I think the imminent danger was there, but I don't think that they were all thinking he's going to murder her while we're outside. This was their best shot to get the police down here while they go back in and try to de-escalate the situation. And whatever they were doing right now, it just wasn't working. But as they reach that threshold outside, it's almost instantly, before they can even call the police, this wall of heat goes up behind them. It's like suddenly they were standing in front of a furnace. The kitchen was on fire. And the father is screaming, his daughter still inside. He pulled his shirt over his mouth and he ran into the burning house. The brother-in-law appeared by his side and they're staggering through the kitchen looking for Lamu. She's screaming out in pain. And then the house exploded. Flames had reached the second floor and they weakened the support beams. So the inside collapsed in a wall of flaming just bricked wood. And the explosion blasted the dad and the brother-in-law outside. Neighbors who saw the smoke, they rushed over. They dragged the brother-in-law. They dragged the dad's bodies away from the house while they waited for the firefighters. And the dad, he was only out for like a minute or two. He was unconscious. So when he regained consciousness, before even the firefighters got there, before the police got there, the crowd of neighbors had to physically hold him down to the ground because he's crawling, fighting to run back into this collapsing house. The second floor had already crumbled in, an, in on itself. All the entryways were blocked with burning wood and debris. And he had no idea how he was going to get inside. And he did not care. They could still hear Lamu screaming. Oh my god! She was dying and there was nothing they could do to help. It would actually take three whole hours before firefighters could enter the home. You have to remember, this is a very rural area. She was burning for three hours? Yeah. Oh my God. They retrieved Lamu and the dad looked around at the, just the crowd of faces, but he knew it was useless. The evil man had gotten out of the house and he had left. He used the chaos, the, the explosion, the distraction, and his daughter's murder was now free. Her ex-husband was now free. Lamu had Lamu's rec- ex-husband Yeah. Lamu, was the killer. Lamu had recently divorced her husband of over a decade, the man she had two children with, and he basically refused to let her go. And now she's laying in a hospital bed in a coma with severe burns on over 90% of her body. Her long black hair was all burned off. Her whole body was charred. It's stated that some parts of her flesh were resembling cooked meat. The doctors had no choice but to cut off a lot of her flesh and skin to even get to her body to try and perform life-saving measures. They had to basically peel a layer of skin off of her body. Her exam results show that she had burns on 90% of her body. She had gone into hypovolemic shock, which is when your body loses a large amount of blood or fluid. It stated that she had lost more than 20% of her blood volume she had multiple organ failure, she had coagulation function disorder, meaning her body was forming either too many or too few blood clots, she had acute kidney failure, liver failure, inhalation injury from smoke inhalation, acute gastritis or sudden inflammation of her stomach lining, skin lacerations, probably from either the falling debris or the knife. I think behind her left ear, she sustained knife injuries. And... Last but not least, she had compartment syndrome, which means there was a dangerous amount of pressure buildup in her muscles. Mm. So she was in a coma. And side note, I don't know if they have this in the rest of the world, but in a lot of parts of China, they have something called the APACHE test, the acute psychological and chronic health examination. So each hospital patient can take the test and receive a certain number of points. The higher the points, the more risk they have of dying in the hospital. So the low risk category is from scores 5 to 16. That means they're probably here because they're very uncomfortable. They're in a bit of pain. Moderate is 17 to 28. And high risk of death is anything 29 and higher. Lamu's score was a 31. And her family could only sit there. they wondering like, why? Why Lamu? Why could he just not let her go? Lamu also has an older sister. And She was at the hospital and she found herself wondering out loud. And she would say things like, you know, I don't want to cry. Because if Lamu was awake, no matter how big of a challenge she was facing, she was always smiling. But now I cry every single day. I feel like I'm not as strong as Lamu. I just can't hold back. And I'm so sorry about this because I feel like I can't control my emotions. But, you know, she stayed in her ex-husband's home for 13 years working like a cow, working like a horse. And when they divorced, she didn't even take a needle or thread. She only took a few pieces of her own clothing and she left. And even like that, they still wouldn't give her a chance to live. And she blamed herself. She said, sometimes I feel like my whole family is too weak. I hate myself that I couldn't help her. So they're sitting in the hospital and the medical bill is going through the roof. The hospital quoted that a total of 1 million Chinese yuan or a little over 140,000 US dollars. They did not have insurance. They're from a rural village of China. I mean, the money that Lamu's family saved up was, it was laughable in comparison to that. The family had nothing. They had no choice but to ask Lamu's 800,000 followers for help. And that would have been a miracle because think about all the people on social media that ask for help these days. The dad wrote a letter to her followers and to netizens, and he wrote, On the evening of September 14th, my daughter was burned by her ex-husband while live streaming on dying at home. It caused extensive burns all over her body, and now she is dying in the hospital. The state people's hospital recommended a transfer and the cost of treatment exceeded 1 million. Seeing my daughter in front of me beyond recognition, I no longer have the motivation to live. Seeing her struggle with death and even just a glimmer of vital signs, I have to do everything to save her life. Life is fragile but people's hearts are strong and I beg someone to help my poor daughter. Reluctantly, I write this letter of help begging you to lend me a helping hand. I hope my daughter will get better. I thank you, but we desperately need your help. On September 17th, Lamu's Doing account had a new video, and it was from her older sister. And she said, For those who like Lamu, I'm her sister. She was burned with gasoline by her ex-husband a few days ago, and she's currently in the ICU. She's in a life-threatening condition and needs to be transferred immediately. Her medical bills are around a million yuan. We hope that everyone can donate and help save my poor sister and just let her get through this stage. Thank you, everyone. Do you believe in miracles? Because within seven hours, they exceeded the donations and the transfer was made possible. Lamu was transferred to a state hospital and the family was going to be able to afford the treatment. They felt like this glimmer of hope. And on top of that, it felt like it was going to be okay. What's crazy is that even in that moment, after they exceeded the goal, we don't know how much more the bills are going to be, but people kept donating and the family actually came out and said, it's okay. We passed our goal. You guys don't have to donate your hard-earned money anymore. It just felt like the universe was listening, you know? And At this point, she was getting better. She was in stable condition and people were being so kind. And it was like the hope in the world was being restored. And at one moment, Lamu, her eyelashes, her eyelid actually fluttered for a second. But the universe has her cruel days.
1: Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: And on September 24th, after all of these hopeful signs and after all of these people thinking that, okay, as long as we come together now, we can make miracles happen. At the end of September, Lamu passed away. She was 30 years old and it was the last day of September at eleven sixteen PM when her heart stopped and she was dead and her sister sobbed and she cried. I hope that wherever you are on the other side, it's a world with no harm. And I hope it's a world where domestic violence doesn't exist. And after you reincarnate, I hope you can find a better family. A family that can protect you better. And then she went through her father's house looking for all the pictures of Lamu. And she dug through all of Lamu's old belongings and she piled together every single picture that she could find. And then very carefully, she took a pair of scissors and cut out her sister's killer's picture from each and every photo. She didn't even try to make it look like he was never there. Some of the pictures just have a ghost-shaped hole in the center of them. She did not care about how pretty it looked. She cared about erasing everything about this man out of her sister's life once and for all. And at the end, she's left with these stack of hole-filled pictures and a pile of the evil man's face cutouts. And I hope she burned them all. Tong Lu was the ghost in Lamu's life. We're going to call him Tong to make it easier to follow. But Tong and Lamu, they met 12 years before all of this happened. And Tong is an interesting guy, okay? So Tong was born to an impoverished family, which is very similar to everyone in this community. And his highest education level was middle school. He doesn't go to high school. He ends up delivering bread. He's like a bread delivery man. And he was destined to live like this mediocre life, right? which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that's kind of the route that everyone in this community was taking, but he didn't like it. And it's not because he was so motivated or hardworking. He just always wanted to be those guys. He wanted to be the richest guy in the room. He wanted to be the one that everyone would respect. He would want it to be the one that everyone would be jealous of. So his parents actually ended up selling a plot of land and they opened up a tea shop with that money. The tea shop ended up doing really well. And this guy is like, you know what? Forget the bread. I'm not making enough bread, selling bread. So he quits his job. And his whole intention, he's telling his parents, you know what? I'm going to help you guys with the tea shop. Is that what he does? Absolutely not. But he's talking the talk. He's going to like, I'm going to multiply the business. I'm going to 10x this, The 10x the profits. He quits his bread delivery job. He just lives off his parents. He lounges around, gets involved in some shady business, blows his parents' money, acting like the richest guy in the neighborhood. I mean, just to give you a good feel for what kind of person he was, he was doing his absolute best to be the bad boy in town. He just had this uncontrollable ego because he and his family were doing better than the rest of the people around him. And I think that he genuinely got off on that. So he ends up getting into alcohol, Ends up getting into drugs when he should have been helping support his family business. And then it almost seemed like true love changed him. Like that's kind of what his friends even thought. That's kind of what his family thought. They all poked fun at him. Or at least for a little while. He meets Lamu and his whole life is a 180. I mean, the minute that Lamu holds his hand for the first time, it's like a switch flipped. He's like, you know what? I'm going to be a better man for this woman. I want to be deserving of a kind soul like her. He stopped drinking. He stopped hanging out with all of these women. He stopped going out at night. He spent all of his time with Lamu. They were so in love. They promised each other that they would get married. And after three years, which I feel like three years of dating someone on average is Kind of a long time to get married these days, you know, like three months kind of short, but three years. It's pretty appropriate if not on the longer side. The problem was they met when Lamu was 16 and she would be 19 in three years. So even though three years of dating seems like a long time to get engaged, it's not because she's only 19. And her friends kept telling her, don't get together so quickly. Like date. What, what is the rush to get married? I don't think that Tong is a reliable person. Her mother said, you know, you guys are still young. Getting married so young is just not appropriate. Plus, I'm still young. I don't want grandkids, you know? Like, just wait. So everyone kind of told her not to get married that quick? Then everyone must have some kind of red flags on this guy, right? Yeah. So whether he did do a 180 or just pretended to do a 180 or even just how alarming his past was, I think people just didn't like him. Mm. And I think Lamu genuinely doesn't have that kind of past. She's truly this like wholesome person that just wants to help her family. And she ends up falling in love with the town's bad boy. Mm. It's just you want to say, no, don't do that, right? And of course, Lamu, she's in love, and I don't blame her. She's like, I'm willing to put in the work. I mean, what's age? Age is just a number. Like, I'm responsible. I've been holding down the family. Why can't I hold down a marriage? I'm going to put all my time and effort into this. But marriage is 50-50 in the end. It's like not about the effort from one person, but rather the collective. And in the end, Tang was just not there with her. I mean, at first, married life was bliss. Tong gets a job as a taxi driver. Lamu is staying at home, occasionally helping out at the tea shop. They would go on these like long walks. They were constantly holding hands and eating dinner together every night. Villagers said that they were inseparable. But then Lamu got pregnant. And we've talked about this before. But unfortunately, a lot of male abusers start their abuse on their female partner when they're pregnant. It's an emotional and vulnerable time. And the women's priorities typically drastically shifts. It goes from, I mean, in these types of relationships, it goes from being about her husband and being about her relationship to being about her child, to being about her body and this amazing process that she's going through. And these narcissistic clowns just cannot handle it. They cannot handle it. So the abuse starts when she's pregnant, and Tong just keeps going back to it. He keeps going back to his old ways. Sometimes Tong would come home from gambling, and he would be so frustrated, he would just pick random fights with his wife. And Lamu is so furious, and she's begging him, please stop throwing our future away. But he would say, you're controlling. He would complain that all she does is nag him, and doesn't want him to be himself or have fun, and she's so selfish and is miserable and is tying him down. They were still living with Tong's parents at this point, and Tong Lu's mother said she heard them fighting so much it almost became white noise. And then things got worse. Tong Lu got in contact with his old buddies and he started doing his dirty business again. Now, sources don't specify what his dirty business refers to, but I have my suspicions it's probably drug dealing or gang related activities, something like that. Regardless, it's, it's a pretty horrible thing to do as a parent. Not only do you risk exposing your kid to all of these activities, but on top of that, you could be robbing them of a parent if you're to land in jail. Like, it's horrendous. And they don't need the money. So Lamu, as a protective, loving, caring mom, she has every right to be upset with her husband, especially since it's not like we need this money. Like, we have the tea shop, we're doing okay. Like, why do you want to do this? They get into another heated fight, and he punches her for the first time. And there is a saying that goes, it's either zero times or infinite times. For all my listeners out there, if there's a first time, make sure it's the last time. I think everyone deserves someone who gets physically sick at the thought of hurting people and not as an impulse control problem or stress release. So after he hits her for the first time, she packs up her bags and she told him straight up, I'm moving back to my parents' house and there's nothing you can do about it. And what does Tong do? He does what every single abuser does. He gets on his knees and he's begging her, begging her to stay sobbing, talking about how he just, there's something wrong with him. He needs to fix it and he's going to fix it for her. Of course, they're living with Tong's parents and Tong's mom hears this and she comes out and she turns on her son and slaps him across the face. So she's establishing, which I'm like, okay, this is good. This is very good. Maybe this will be her supporting Lamu and having her move on and still being a grandmother in the child's life. But, you know, forget the son. But it seems like this slap had an ulterior motive. She slaps her son across the face and then turns to Lamu and says... You know, Lamu, when me and my husband were young, we used to argue and fight a lot too. But I tell you, as we got older, it got better. And she begged her to stay. I don't even know what to say about that, okay? But what could Lamu do? I mean... Like I told you already, she is a compassionate understanding. I mean, she's outrageously empathetic. Of course, seeing her husband crying and seeing her husband's mom, her mother-in-law crying, sobbing, begging, it's pulling at her heartstrings. Like this is the man that she dreamed of growing old with and she promised to stay by his side no matter what. So if he needs her most in this moment where he's breaking down and realizing how messed up he's gotten, she should be there for him. So she put her bags down. And she went back into the room. But then it happened again and again and again. And it wasn't even something avoidable, which it never is. In domestic violence situations, it's never a big fight or even a mistake. Not that that excuses abusive behavior, but it could be the smallest argument that turns to violence. And most of the time, Tang would be the one picking a fight and then hitting her. And at first it was a push or a slap or a pinch, but then it would escalate. Every time he would break down crying and just beg for her forgiveness. And every time she would grant it. Now, I just want to reiterate, the victim is never to blame in an abusive relationship. It's just one of those situations where I feel like we don't understand unless we've been in it ourselves. But Lamu is not naive. Their relationship had fallen into this cycle of abuse and, and she could see it. You know, she hoped that he would change, but each time he apologized, it would only be a matter of time. It was like a clicking clock, a timer. Just when is it going to happen? She hated walking on eggshells. And one day she was so fed up, she got in his face and she told him, you know what? I'm tired of your worthless apologies. Like, you think I'm dumb? You think I don't know that you don't mean it because it just keeps happening? And she said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Like, I'm done. He tried the whole apology thing again. He's crying on his knees and she's like, no, it's not going to work this time. And almost instantly, like the snap of a finger, he drops the act, stands up, stares her in the eyes and says, if you ever think, even think about leaving, I will do unthinkable things to your son, aka his son as well, and your family. Oh my God. She was so terrified. I mean, leaving him would mean that her family was in danger. And side note, her abuse was well hidden from everyone. She did not want to worry her parents or her sister. She wanted to make it work for the sake of her child. And whenever she was out and about and doing all these things, she always had this big, big smile on her face. Like they had no idea what was going on. They had no idea that they were going to indirectly be in the line of danger. And it just made her sick to her stomach. So under the threat of her child and her parents' safety, she stayed in the relationship. And then a life-altering thing happened. Lamu's mom passed away. Her mom died three years into Lamu's marriage. And Lamu was really, really close with her mom. I mean, this was the person that just kind of glued the whole family together. Lamu's sister lived really far away with her husband. And their father had gotten sick. And now his wife is gone and he needed a caretaker. So Lamu stepped up to the challenge. She didn't even think, think twice, you know? She accepted it wholeheartedly. She, she loved her father. And I know some of you might be like, yes, but every daughter does this. This was no easy task. She took up the responsibility of taking care of her dad, of the land, of the foraging for herbs, and even taking care of her elderly grandmother. Wow. So to support these two people and her own family, Lamu started all the collecting of the medicinal herbs in the forest and in the mountains and selling them in town. She would split her time between her husband's house, her father's house, and the mountain. Tong did not like this. Instead of being proud that his wife was this compassionate, tenacious person, he was very upset that her priorities had shifted. So the abuse actually got worse the harder she was working. Whenever she did visit, on a good day, he would scream and humiliate her. On a bad day, he would physically abuse her. So five more years, she continued to live like this, like this type of torturous environment. And then in 2017, she fell pregnant with their second son. So at this point, she already has an 11-year-old, an abusive husband, her job picking herbs, and two adults under her care, and now she has a newborn baby on top of that. Wow. It it was a lot on her plate, but um, she's constantly thinking of ways to support her family. That was her thing. So she starts a and she starts filming her life at this stage. And in the midst of all this stress and struggle, she actually found a lot of peace online just it gave her some sort of purpose to keep smiling every day because and I, and I can kind of relate to it in the sense of like some days you just feel sad but you're like you know what it's fine maybe if I like smile for the camera I'll feel better and then you do her videos focused on all the little things in life that she did love and her account name was like black princess and she which in east asia very thing but She would kind of poke fun at herself for how um, tan she was getting on the mountain and her bio read, It's not that I don't enjoy the city life, but I want to be with my family. I choose to rely on the mountains to make a living. I hope to share my mountain life with more people out there. She posted about her daily life and she never mentioned the abuse. She did show some vulnerable moments though, where I think you can see a lot of inner sadness come out when her grandma passed away apparently the same month instead of comforting his wife tong beat her even more for quote moping around she posted one single video where she was crying and she never mentioned the abuse all she said was i'm just sad because today i miss my mom and my grandma i just miss them a lot and i can't control it and he beat her for that yeah I think in hindsight, you could see a lot of the sadness and just the betrayal. But being the ever positive person, by the end of that year, she posted again even though 2019 was difficult, I'm still happy because I'm surrounded by love. May better things happen in 2020. In 2020, Lamu got more popular on doing. People actually started recognizing her on the street and they would be like, hey, you're the mountain girl. You're the mountain deer. They'd call her like the mountain honey, the mountain sweetie. Like they really thought of her as like this, this protective, like they wanted to protect her. They all called her sweetie, honey, darling, dear, all these enduring nicknames. And Tong would get so jealous. He did not like the attention that she was getting from the viewers. And he especially didn't like the attention that she was giving to the viewers. He felt like her success was threatening his control over her. So he amps up the physical abuse around this time. Just to, just to help his ego, just to cement his role as the man of the house. Side note, it's not clear if he abused Lamu in front of their kids, but I imagine that they knew, even if it's not directly in front of their faces, kids are really smart. I yeah. just don't see a man like him, like won't well, yeah. care about what the kids are thinking. Thinking about yeah. him, yeah. So, you know, we can just assume safely that Tong was not only abusing his wife, he was putting their children in very abusive situations as well, which that's going to mess with the child's psyche for the rest of their life. In March 2020, Lamu finally filed for divorce. Tang got so angry. He screamed, yelled, punched, kicked, but no matter what he did, Lamu was determined. She successfully filed the divorce papers and as she walked out the courthouse doors, she filmed a video and posted it saying, the moment I walked out of the civil affairs bureau, I was not sad. Instead, I felt I was safe. Kids, mom will love you even more. And she posted that? In the Mm. video... It almost looks like she's wearing eyeshadow, but people who watch Lam Lun knows she never wears makeup. So that eyeshadow under her right eye probably came from her soon to be ex husband, Tong. Tong completely changed after that. I'm talking immediately after that, okay? He knew where Lamu's family home was. He knew which market she was selling her herbs at. He knew everything about her life. It's a small town. And he cleaned up his act in one single day and spent weeks trying to woo her back. He took care of their son. The divorce awarded one son to each person, okay? And he was the perfect father figure. He told Lamu that the divorce really sobered him up. And he was ready to be a changed man. For real this time. Again, I don't want to hear anyone judging Lamu for this, but she did take him back. They officially remarried before the end of March. They had not been divorced for a full month. And this time it seems like he really meant it. He would help her around around the house. He didn't hit her. He didn't scare the kids. He was the perfect dad. And by the way, just a disclaimer, that's the bare minimum. Like doing your chores and doing your responsibilities and not hitting or screaming at people, that doesn't make you a perfect person. That makes you a normal person. Lamu really believed that her husband had come to his senses like this was such a drastic moment in the couple's life like he must have woken up in a sense the phase lasted 10 days that's how long it lasted and listen i don't want to make it seem like people can't change um i don't i think it's very hard for abusive people to change i think it's i I don't think I've seen many successful, physically abusive people change in their lives. And I'm sure if they truly, truly want to, and they're truly willing to put in the work, they can change. But that really doesn't mean you have to be there for it. You don't have, just because you love that person doesn't mean you have to help them through this process. If you are in an abusive situation and you truly think the person you love is trying to change, they can change on their own time and they can come back to you a changed person. After 10 days, he blew up and he beat Lamu within an inch of her life. He broke her phone and beat her until she was barely conscious. The next day, she filed a lawsuit against him and then went into hiding. Tong was out of his mind with anger. His wife just sued him for abuse and now she was hiding from him. How dare she? He turned the town upside down looking for her. And when he couldn't find her, he went to the shop that... Lamu's sister owned, right? With her husband in a different town and he ransacked the entire place. Lamu's sister was there and Tang walked up to her and screamed and said, where the hell is Lamu? She refused to tell him. So he punched her in the face multiple times and two of her orbital bones were fractured. So orbital bones are the bones around your eyes. And she was very lucky that none of these bones pierced her eyeball and permanently affected her vision. Because I can- are you kidding me. Yeah. And he's not in jail for this? No. He did this in front of everyone, including his own three year old son. It said witnesses said that the son watched his own father punch his aunt in the face, and onlookers said that this little kid was looking at his dad like his dad was a stranger. Like this kid doesn't even know his dad, type of feeling. He was so afraid of him.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: So Lamu's sister called the cops, was brought to the hospital. She had to stay there for two weeks. Tong's family never came to visit, never offered to pay the medical bill, which is insane. Because think about it. This is Tong's ex-wife's sister that he just punched. They're all family. He just punched his sister-in-law, not even a stranger. And Tong's parents don't even go and try to apologize on his behalf or try to make things right. They don't force Tong to go and try to pay for the bill and try and make things right. Nothing. So Lamu files for another divorce. And this time it would be their last divorce the court awarded not only was tong not arrested for assault the court awarded custody of both children to tong what why i don't know financial means i'm assuming mm. he was able to get a lawyer he had more financial means wow. than lamu and i have no idea why they would do that other than that i mean there were multiple witnesses against his abuse like what so lamu's sister she suggested you know lamu you need to leave the village Clear your head and get away for a while while he calms down. You should travel, go see the world, like experience things. And Lemma refused. She said, No, 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 it's almost harvesting season. I gotta go into the mountains soon. And besides, before I go into the mountains, I just wanna spend some time with my dad. She really wanted to spend more time with her kids as well, but it seems like Tong would not allow her to see them. He used them as leverage to emotionally destroy her. I mean, she'd been ripped to shreds. Now, don't get me wrong. She was completely emotionally broken. But I think at this point, like, you know, when you're so broken, it's almost like this, like, oh my God, like you want to laugh because you're so broken and you don't know how to process it. And you almost feel like you're slightly unhinged, not in like a weird way, but like, what is my life? Like that kind of feeling. I think that Lamu had one of those feelings. For just one second, she wanted to feel normal. And so the day after that second divorce she posted a video of herself dancing in the woods. And it's not because she's so happy that she can't ever see her kids or that she's divorcing her husband. Like, think about it. Why would she be happy in this moment? She's not happy. Anyone thinks that she's happy is, honestly, I'm so sorry, an idiot. She's not happy. She's just trying to focus on maybe what she has instead of everything that she lost. But she's not ecstatic. Tong saw that video and he was pissed. He was bitter. He's like, how dare she be happy? How dare she be so happy after ruining our family and leaving me? How dare she be happy without me? He felt like it was Lamu's fault that the whole family was broken apart. And now here she is, not a thought in her head, dancing in the mountains. (sighs) Idiot. So that's nowhere near the truth of the situation. And at 8 p.m. on September 14th, a few months after their final divorce, Chong left the kids at home, got on his motorbike with an empty container. He filled it with gasoline, arrived at the final destination, parked his bike about a block or two away from Lamu's house. And he walked up to her house with four things. The gasoline, a lighter, a knife, and a plan. He blocked the front door before going in went through the back door or a window, we're not sure, and he drenched Lamu in gasoline. He lit her on fire and escaped through the woods back to his bike. She had spent three hours in a burning house with gasoline all over her, and she was still alive. But she would never wake up from her coma. A few days after her passing, her family found themselves standing at the bank of a river and spreading a portion of her ashes into the water. So normally in this area, funerals are typically held in one's home, but they didn't have that anymore. It was burned down. They only sprinkled maybe half of Lamu's ashes in the water, and they saved a portion. So uh, her sister said when they were kids, Lamu talked about taking their father to Shizang. Shizang. It's known as um, the roof of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's got ancient mountains and these really stunning views. That's actually where... um, not in China but that area like the mountain alps that's where mount everest is mm-hmm. and in in nepal right now the sister saved some of her ashes and promised her that when her killer came to justice she would finally spread her ashes so that lamu could rest in peace tong was finally caught by the police in september While Lamu was still alive in the hospital. But he wasn't formally arrested until October 10th. I'm not sure why. Because she passed away the last day of September. So technically it's still murder. I don't know why they waited 10 days. I don't know even... I mean, it's still attempted murder. I don't know why they didn't just arrest him immediately. The whole family, they tried to find some peace in this. They would visit their old childhood home. And, you know, I think... I I don't know like it's just I don't even know if I can say this coming from a place of like clearly more privilege than this family but it's so heartbreaking to see the cards that they were dealt and how they handle it with such grace but also like why like why is the world so cruel is the feeling that you get even when they went back to their childhood home Lamu's sister was saying we had no money I mean like we have no money now but back then we had no money we were living in this house and every day we we're so exhausted, so tired from working, all of us. They're the best memories though, cause Lamu was alive, our mom was alive, and we were just all there together. Lamu and I had plans to open up a clothing shop and when she was gonna have a fresh start after the divorce, so she just needed to do one last herb picking season. Her sister said she was at work when it happened. Her friends were sending her all these WeChat messages telling her to go watch her sister's live stream. And they said that they thought that her sister might be in trouble. So she didn't doesn't watch the live stream. Instead, she calls her sister's phone, non-stop blowing it up to see if she's all right. She did not know until later that her sister was on fire at that point. By the time that she got to their family home, I mean, the walls were black, the furniture was ashes, the house had exploded, and Lamu was in the hospital. And now she was gone and... I mean, what could her sister do? She quit her job. She took over the reconstruction of their house. She handled her sister's funeral. She helped the police with the investigation. She helped take care of her father in the midst of suffering from her own grief. She didn't even know that her sister was being abused by her husband her ex-husband until she read the divorce files. Lamu protected the whole family from her life. Nobody knew? Nobody knew. And she said, and I repeat... She stayed in their home for 13 years, working like a cow for this family, working like a horse, basically working like a servant as a daughter-in-law for this family. And when they divorced, she didn't even take one of their needles or their threads, nothing. She only took a few pieces of her own clothing and she left. And even with that, even leaving like that, they still would not give her a chance at life. And the father, he blames himself. He said, I was a burden to Lamu. And I couldn't help her. And now, now that she's gone, I'm going to be a burden to my other daughter. He said with his low level of education, his sickly body, he would never be anything but a burden to his kids. He said, I keep dragging them back. I keep dragging them down. He's so sad that they were born too. Father like him. And the whole time he's saying these things, Lamu's sister's just wiping the tears from his eyes. And you can see that she's trying to be so strong for him. But when she's alone, because there's a small documentary on this, when she's alone with the producers, I mean, she completely breaks down and she tells them, you know, I try not to break down in front of my dad because I know he's never going to be able to recover. And being strong was always Lamu's thing. She was the type of girl that. Whatever challenge she faced, she faced it with a big smile on her face. And some days I feel like I'm going to break down. Like I don't think I can go on. I don't know how much longer I can last. Now what's absolutely unhinged about this situation is the fact that Tong's mom, who witnessed so much of the abuse because the couple lived with her, remember? Mm-hmm. This is the mother-in-law. She saw she saw the first time that Tong hit Lamu and probably the second time and the third time until she lost count. She saw all the times. She knew the situation. She knew what it felt like to be a mom. You know, I think that is something that people without kids probably can't relate to, the idea of something happening to your child, that visceral feeling that you might have, she probably has that as a mother herself. But this is how she responds to the situation of her abusive son killing his ex-wife, the mother of his children, the one that lived with her for over a decade, after torturing her for that long. This mother-in-law says with her whole chest, "Tong did this because he was too loyal. He was so in love with La Mu, he could not live without her. He would have never set her on fire. I mean, this incident must have happened because of some sort of altercation between the two of them. Netizen said, taking another person's life as being too loyal, then no one should have this type of, quote, love. You have a mother like that, you'll have a son like this. Yes. The court did not agree with his mother, thankfully. In October of the next year, 2021, they pronounced Tong Lu guilty of intentional homicide. He was stripped of his constitutional right to life and handed the death sentence. He was also ordered to pay the family financial compensation for the material damages they suffered. In other words, he had to pay for the damage of the house, but not for the damages to Lamu, or to the loss of Lamu. He did try to appeal his sentence, but his appeal was denied. And after this appeal was handed down, and after everything was done and said, Lamu's sister rushed home and In the documentary, she shows parts of their old house that was burned down. It's completely ruined. And um, there is a room that they kept just as much as it could have been the way it was before Lamu died. She set up an altar. She even hung up Lamu's dress and she cried, This is my sister's dress and I can't get myself to burn it because, you know, in their culture, they burn the clothes of their loved ones. So I kept it here. And she told her sister that she finally got the closure and she can be free now. Their house was reconstructed June of 2022 and her sister posted a video the first day in the house on Lamu's doing. It was the first time in a long time that she saw her dad smile and she wrote, I've been so be- busy recently that I haven't had time to sit and talk to my dad. Tonight, I'm going to spend some time talking to my dad and drink some tea. May all the parents in the world be in good health. And one month later after that, Tong Lu was hanged. He was killed. They allowed his family one last visit beforehand and Lamu's sister posted again. Hi everyone, I'm Lamu's sister. I believe everyone saw the news today. We have always believed in the legal system and justice. As the victim's family, we have very mixed emotions after seeing the news today. I don't want to say too much, but we finally have an answer. I hope that this answer will let my sister rest in peace. But I just want to express gratitude to everyone that cared for and helped us through this painful journey. Thank you, everyone. But it's not perfect. As for Lamu's two sons, they were awarded to Tong Lu's family in the second divorce, and nothing changed even after he was hanged for murder. So they're now being taken care of Tong Lu's mom, which, like, I don't necessarily think I want her to be raising any more sons. And on top of that, in 2021, China passed what I like to call the don't get divorced law. Basically, anyone who files for divorce in China will now have to undergo a 30 day cool off period before they can move on with the paperwork. This is 30 days, not even processing paperwork. This is you have to go to court and say, I would like a divorce. They make you wait 30 days like you're some petulant child who makes impulsive decisions. And then after 30 days, you have to go back and say, hey, I didn't change my mind. Because I'm not like a little ditzy person. And it just adds an extra step to the divorce process. And it's just, it's designed to reduce the number of divorces that happen in China each year. That's basically all it does. And there's major problems with it. Let's just talk about a few of them. Well, actually, let's first talk about the success rate. It is wildly successful. So I don't think that they're going to get rid of this law. And it's not wildly successful because you think it's going to be like, it's not like, oh, now people are really thinking about it. In 30 days, they thought about it and they're like, never mind government. We actually love each other and we're going to stay together for the sake of your divorce rates numbers. That's not it. So. Divorce rates in China were down 70% from what they were in 2021. But what politicians don't talk about were other factors that were playing into it. In 2021, divorce rates were through the roof, not just in China, but kind of all over the world, because this is right after the pandemic. People have been cooped up in a house with this person that they supposedly loved. And they're like, you know what? You're actually not that great. Like after being with you 24-7 for how many months? I think our problems are even worse. And I think life is too short. There are pandemics. Life is too short to be with someone that I don't fully love. So people are running to the courthouse after all these bans were lifted. They're running. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but that was not factored in. All the politicians are like, see, the law is working because people are using the 30 days to think about their love. Now, not only that, but divorce rates are down because marriage rates are down. Mm. Less people getting married, less people getting divorced. Young people in China, Eastern Asia, and really everywhere around the world, they just aren't getting married like they used to. Mostly, it's the crazy cost of living combined with housing and job scarcity. And I mean, specifically in China, there is the situation where there are a lot more single men than there are women. So it's the ability to be a lot more selective and a lot more ability to be independent as women So the government, they're even trying to implement programs like paid honeymoon days Did you know this? Hmm. In China, you can get paid honeymoon days, but nobody is taking the bait Marriage rates have never been this low since, in China since they started tracking them in the 80s Yeah, I heard of like 37 years Yeah, It's like the lowest point Yeah, and this divorce law makes it even worse Oh, yeah, you don't want to get married now. Yeah, Now you're like, oh, it's even harder to get divorced? Never mind, not worth it. Mm. And according to a New York Times article, um, from what I read on the subject, this new law basically states that both parties have to agree to proceed with the paperwork. They both have to file paperwork at the beginning and then both come back to court 30 days later and say, yes, we both still want to divorce. How many times, I mean... I've never seen a mutual divorce. Otherwise, all these family attorneys would be out of a job. And not the richest attorneys around, okay? Like, if they forget to come back after the 30 days, or if one of them forces one to not come back, abuses one to not come back, the divorce paperwork is canceled. The cool-off period poses a problem for a lot of reasons. And in instances like today's case, how would Lamu have been able to get a divorce if she had to convince Tongue to agree to it? How much abuse would she have had to suffer in those 30 days that he tried to convince her to drop it? Netizens say this is a law that could be so fatal and detrimental to those who are stuck in abusive relationships. Mm. Officials claim that victims could ask the court to dissolve their marriages, but without an actual divorce. Because if you ask, hey, can you dissolve our marriage? That's basically saying, can you just act like that never happened? But in a divorce, Money is split up, housing is split up. So if you can't get a divorce and you basically, div- and you just dissolve the marriage, a lot of people, primarily women, could be left on the street without money or resources that they are rightfully owed. So think of it as if marriage is a building and divorce is an emergency exit, this law locks that door. Mm. It also made Chinese netizens more nervous to get married in the first place, especially women. Women don't want to be tied down. They don't want to secure their future with someone. Most women in China are becoming more and more independent. They like their freedom. And now it's getting worse. So many netizens have wondered out loud, why can't there be a cool-off period for marriage and not divorce? We've heard so many stories of people just going to Vegas and getting married because they're drunk. You never really hear of an impulsive divorce. It's that's never true. like, you that's know what I, very true. you wake up one yep. day, you take a shot yep. of alcohol and you're like, you know what? Let me just go through the biggest headache of my life and get a divorce. But yeah. people will wake up and be like, oh my God, you want to go to Vegas and get married? Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. I think it, there should be a cool off period. Yes. So, I mean, I think in the US you can like annul it within like a certain amount of days. But I mean, why are you adding this to divorce? We can't think of a single person that gets divorced on an impulse and they're like, wait, I regret it. Let's take back the paperwork. Oopsie. Yeah. And I think divorce is a necessary thing. And the only people that benefit from society that shames divorce are abusers, toxic partners, and narcissistic people who want to force a partner to stay regardless of their behavior and or efforts in a relationship. Like why is divorce a bad thing? Like we as a collective are shielding bad people. That's not to say that we should divorce people willy nilly, but I don't think most of us do that to begin with. And divorce was one of those things that got Lamu out of that relationship. How many women today are living exactly like Lamu? And how much harder is it going to be for them to get out? According to data released by the All-China Women's Federation, on average, a woman is beaten by her husband in China every 7.4 seconds. And about 30% of women in 270 million families have experienced domestic violence. So yeah, this divorce law kind of really sucks. But that's it for today's case. If it sounded a little familiar to you or to anyone that you might know, please click the link in the the show notes or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 800-799-7233. Just remember to clear your browser, your call history, and your cookies. And stay safe out there. And I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode.